Herbert Hoover is in some ways similar. He's, he's still a Republican, and he's a pretty pro-business Republican, but it's seen as a shift for the Republican Party to try to seem kinder and gentler. He was the head of the FDA, um, which was a new organization that was founded after there were a bunch of scandals with like tainted meat um, and also like people selling medicine that wasn't safe. And Hoover had helped to run this government administration that helped protect people. And he had this belief that it was not really laissez-faire, it was called volunteerism. And he thought the government shouldn't force people to help each other, but it should encourage it. And that the best future of America was through people joining community organizations and the government could find ways to help encourage um, outside of government programs to help improve things. And so his rhetoric was in some ways much friendlier than that of uh, Harding or Coolidge, Um, which makes it a little bit ironic that he kind of is the guy who gets stuck with the whirlwind that comes, I think it's fair to say, as a result of the policies of these two much more hardline people that came before him. By deregulating industry, by letting stock market go out of control, you know, you set up a situation in which there's a possibility for the biggest crash in American history. And um, Hoover comes in in 1928, and the very next year, the stock market crashes. And he does try to find ways to solve it, but they're all based around this idea, like, we can't really force anything to be solved. Like, his idea was, like, let's make organizations where businesses and labor unions will come together, and then they can talk to each other and make their own deal. Or let's try to help communities fund themselves. And so he starts doing those kinds of things. But it becomes clear pretty soon into late 1929, early 1930, that this isn't something that's going to be solved with like little measures. And people are unemployed at a 30% rate very quickly. And you've gone from the most wealthy, you know, exciting times to the darkest economic time in American history um, outside of places that are destroyed by war, the Civil War. And um, people who lose their homes start living in shacks that they build from wood and stuff, and they live in Central Park and in other public areas, and they call those towns Hoovervilles because they blame Herbert Hoover for not doing enough to help solve this. And again, I think it's not totally fair to him, um, at least if we're going to put it all on him and not really see it as not about Hoover, but about the Republican Party and the general American stance towards the market during that time period. Um, But he just becomes one of the least popular presidents overnight because he's the guy who's there when the crash happens, Um, which I suppose happened to Grover Cleveland before him. and so he loses the next election in a total landslide um, to a guy who was from one of the wealthiest families, who was a distant cousin of Teddy Roosevelt. Um, and by being from one of the wealthiest families, had this ability to attack the businesses in a way that felt heroic to ordinary people and that also 
um, felt like being a total traitor to many of the members of his own class. And when he comes into office, the country is in its worst economic crisis ever. And we've also just invented a tool that will, for the very first time, allow the president to actually speak directly to people in their own homes. And this had existed before. Warren Harding spoke to people through the radio. But the first president to realize how powerful it would be to be able to, from his own office, just talk into a machine and have people listen to him talk was Franklin Roosevelt. And that's what made him, in some ways, the most transformative president since Lincoln.